Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, we're going to open the Word of God with what time we have left. God is so good. Don't you just love the Spirit of God? He just loves us. You know, we serve a Jesus who is the king of a great kingdom. That kingdom already is, but it will be. He is already the king. He is already crowned. He is already Lord. He is already the one. Whether the rest of the world recognizes it yet is immaterial to the fact that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. There is no greater truth than that. Ultimately, everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we will ever hope to be is caught up in the idea that we belong to Him. We belong to Him. You know, one day He will come again. He will stand on this, in this world with great power and authority and He will rule in this world. The Bible says it very clearly. In the meantime, He says to us as His church, as His people... He says, there is a kingdom that I want you to seek more than anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the things that we feel we need, all the things that we feel we want, all the things that we feel we have to pursue will be added to us if we just put his kingdom first. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Well, it, it means seek the priorities of the kingdom. Seek the idea that everything we do ultimately belongs in the kingdom of God. Seek the fact that God's spirit is always trying to heal and reconcile and restore. God's spirit is always at, in love with you. He is always trying to bring you in. There is no one that is too far away. There is always an act of kindness. There is a deed of goodness. There is something we can do to bless another. The giving from ourselves to another is part of the kingdom of God. It's a selfless kingdom. It's a kingdom that says that his way is more important than any other way. And it doesn't matter today whether you're an accountant, whether you're a, a school teacher, whether you're a housewife, whether you run a business, whether you're a builder, a tradesman of any sort. It doesn't really matter what your profession is. You can still be seeking the kingdom because in amongst your work, there are people that need the kingdom. People who need love, people who need kindness, people who need you to stop and pray for them. There is, because ultimately that person whose plumbing you're fixing is a person who whilst they need their plumbing done today, they actually need Jesus with them tomorrow. Because ultimately they'll need to stand before a holy God at one point and will they know him? Will they know him? Now, I'm not suggesting at every job you do, you've got to preach the gospel. But there is a way in which your heart and your mind is fixed on what is the kingdom of God doing today. In and around me, in the people that I meet, what is God doing? Where are the needs? What are the things I could do? How could I move in the spirit like we did on Sunday? How could I do that in my workplace? God, what are you doing? What are the strategies that I need to be about here to, to just help through my kindness of my heart and the generosity of your spirit in me? How could that flow out of me today? Who do I need to forgive quickly? Who do I need to... Can you see? The kingdom of heaven is always pressing into us a different set of priorities. 
It doesn't mean our work is not important. I know you've got to order that part. I know you've got to fix that computer. I know you've got to do, you know, make sure the invoice gets sent out and the money gets paid. All of that's so important. Please, don't let me hear that that's, that's important. But in spite of that stuff, there's an overlay of God. He is in your work. He is with you. He wants to turn everything you do into an act of worship for him. And it's a posture in our heart. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude inside us that says, God, I'm open to that. I'm, I'm receptive to that. How many times during the day might you stop and just say, God, where are you? Let me worship you for a minute. Like it could be just five seconds. I'm not saying, you know, it doesn't have to be a worship service. That we don't need to look for the band and, you know, where, <laughs> you know. Where's my music? Get my Spotify out. Stop. Stop on the job site. We're worshipping for 30 minutes. That's not what I mean. But for just a moment, a glimpse where we'd say, God, I just want to make sure your presence is with me. What's happening? That person really makes me mad. I'm going to pray for them right now. I want to, God, how is it that I can reach out to them? What do you want me to do? Anyway, that's not in the notes. But let's move into what God wants us to look at this morning. We're in a series at the moment called Our House. And in that, we're looking at family life. We're looking at what does it mean within our house to be a habitation of the things of God? What does it mean that our house carries a culture of the ways of God so that we as parents, we as influencers within our house, maybe you're not a parent with the people you live with, maybe there are people just uh, housemates that you live with, but in the culture of the house you live in, how is the kingdom of God, how is the presence of God transferring itself through those relationships? When people walk through your house, they come through the front door, do they sense something different about your house, your people, your culture, the atmosphere that's in that house? Ever, if, you, if you doubt that atmospheres matter, have you ever walked into uh, the midst of a room after two people have been fighting and you're the third person, you walk in and you go, even though you haven't heard the shouting, have you ever felt what it feels like? You walk in and you go, oh, something just happened in here. And you look and you, you look at these two people and you go, I'm sorry, did I interrupt something here? Ever been there? What are you feeling? You're feeling that the atmosphere has changed. Don't think for a minute that atmosphere is unhappening. Everything that we say, everything we do, the way we conduct ourselves creates atmosphere around us. It'll be inclusive, it'll be warm, it'll be inviting, it'll be loving, it'll be something, or it'll be negative of some sort. It'll be critical, it'll be harsh, it'll be judgmental, it'll be... But somehow or other, and some, we're, sometimes we're a mix of all these things, but we produce atmosphere around us as we go through life. Is the atmosphere of your life the atmosphere of the kingdom? And that's the question we're asking in this series, or at least that's the question that I'm asking us today. Have you ever noticed that kids can look exactly like their parents physically? Have you ever seen a father and a son or a mother and a daughter and you look at them and you go, they are two peas in a pod. You know, they kind of look the same. It's Clinton, Scott, exactly. Look at those two. Like you see them everywhere. I have one in my own house. My son I would like to say he's my mini-me, but I'm a mini-me of him, actually, because he's just that much taller than me. This is this handsome brute. He's sitting in the second row. He won't be happy that I've said that. 
He looks just like that, don't you think? <laughs> Slightly different attire. Amen. That was my 21st. There we are together. But I would say similar, don't you think? I'm so sorry, son. You're stuck. This is your future right here, okay? Get married quick. <laughs> Once she says yes, she can't back out then. But it's true, you know, we, but we pass on more to our kids than just the way we look, hey. You know, we, we, we pass on the culture of who we are. We pass on the persona of who we are. And children are like sponges. They, they literally sponge up what we present to them as if that's the way to live. Like that's the truth of the way to live. So, you know, negative perceptions attitudes or negative behavioral patterns will pass on to them just as much as the positive will. And so kids will believe that that's the way to be. If, if something goes wrong, dad would get angry, and so I will get angry. Or dad will retreat and sulk for five days because he just couldn't work out how to articulate what was wrong, so that's what I will do too. And whatever it is, we could run lists and lists of behavioral patterns that kids are observing. We don't even know that they are, but they're observing it and they're taking it in and saying, that's the way I will live as well. What are the inner thoughts and perspectives and beliefs that you have passed down in your family? What are the ones you're passing down today? Are you aware that you are literally emanating those things right now? The fact that you're here in church is already telling something to your kids. It's saying this matters. We've had a big week this week, kids, but we're going on Sunday. Because why? God matters to our family. Everything that we do. I want to look very quickly at the life of Solomon in the very short minutes we have. And look at a choice that Solomon made that I reckon he got from his dad, David. King David had about 19 sons. And we only hear of one daughter. We don't know how many daughters. Um, he had eight wives and a bunch of concubines. We don't know how many the concubines had as well, but we know that there were about, nine, about that many sons. And Solomon was the 10th son. David loved God. He was, had a heart after God, but he had a very dysfunctional family. You wouldn't look to David and say, that's the way I would live my family life. However, you can look to David to see how his heart was tuned before God, and we should. David is one of those guys that, you have to feel sorry for in the Bible because his whole life is there for us to read. I wouldn't like to be David. If my life was chronicled in that much detail, you know, I know people would have many things to say. There are many sermons that could be written about my inadequacies as a man. But David's life is open for us to see and we see some of those inadequacies. We only see it really strongly, particularly at the end of David's life when they're jostling for who's going to get the crown. Everybody wants to be the next king of Israel because God has blessed David. God has blessed Israel. It's a wonderful kingdom. It's a prosperous kingdom. This would be a great time to be king. Why not me? And all of his sons were jostling. Have a listen to this. Absalom, the third son, was known as the most handsome son. Even before his father was dead, he builds a monument to himself, gets the, the people to look at that monument and start to admire that monument. And then he engineers a coup against his father. He builds an army. And with that army, he tries to come out against his father to wrestle the kingdom from his dad. Absalom 
is tragically killed because his lovely long hair that he had, which was part of his apparent handsomeness, got caught in a tree and he hung himself. So it's amazing how your pride can catch you. There was another son, Adonijah. And while his dad is lying on his deathbed, he conspires with Joab, who is the head of the army, and Abiathar, who is the high priest. Of course, if you've got the church and you've got the army together, you've probably got all the power bases so that he can take over when his dad dies. Bathsheba hears about this, which is Solomon's mum. She intervenes and quickly gets David to, to say, no, make Solomon the son. Remember, Solomon's the tenth son, so he's not particularly in line. And David says, yes, Solomon, you can be the king. But Solomon gets into power. He's 12 years of age when he comes to king. And, of course, he has his brother, his third brother, killed, as you would. Joab, of course, the, the leader of the army is killed. But rather than kill the actual high priest, he just banishes him from the kingdom. Don't mess with God's guy. So he does the right thing. And so Solomon comes to power. There is blood everywhere. What a happy family Christmas it must be at David's place. Must be wonderful to gather the family and talk about old times. I imagine it's wonderful. Solomon lives a great life of extravagance. We know that. He has 700 wives. He's a very, very brave man. He has 300 concubines. He reigns for, 400, for 40 years. He builds a palace for himself and he builds the temple of the Lord. He builds a sort of city that when people come and visit, they say, you're an incredible leader. What an amazing thing. And there are many earthly honors that are given to Solomon. But there is a moment in Solomon's history, a turning point that I want to focus on this morning. Turn with me to 1 Kings and chapter 3. And verse 3, this is the moment, I believe, that Solomon sets himself on the right course. Later in life, he may not have made every decision right, but at the beginning of his life, when he was a child, a child king, he made this decision. I believe he got the reason for this decision from his father. Let's read it together. 1 Kings chapter 3, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. You think about that for a minute. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. One, two. You know how long it'll take me to do a thousand burnt offerings? We're not just talking about I've burnt the toast in the toaster. Let's do that a thousand times. Talking animals. Thousand animals. Anyhow, that's where it is. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
This speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you've asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honour, so there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all of your days. If you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon awoke and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Solomon has God come to him and ask the ultimate question. It's like the genie in the bottle moment. God says, God, the God of heaven. This is not a fictitious Disney cartoon character. This is the God of heaven. God comes to this young, young teenager. He's 12, barely 13, barely come of age and says, ask, what shall I give you? Let me ask you, how would you answer that question? Ask, what shall I give you? I don't think God asked that question of anybody else at that junction point in their life, in their whole Bible history. I can't think of one, anyhow. What an amazing thing to be asked by God of heaven. And God identifies the three things that most people would ask for. Long life, riches, and no enemies. When you think about it, if you've got those three things, you're going to have a pretty pleasant life, aren't you? Because there's no point in being rich and dying young. I mean... You can, but it's all over too quick. There's no point, though, in also being rich and living long, but being unhealthy. Because if you live unlong and you're unhealthy, then that can be a bit of a hell on earth as well, can't it? So if you've got no enemies and you've got plenty of money and you're living a long life, you've got a great life. In fact, if you read the Courier Mail today, the Sunday Mail, go to the travel section, that's what everyone's looking for. I want to live that life. And God says, but you didn't ask me for that. You asked me for something else. There's four values that I think David passed on why Solomon could stand in that moment of temptation. Do you know all our kids are going to stand in their moment of temptation? All of us stand in our moment of temptation. And in that moment, we have the power to choose, will I ask God what I should ask God for, or will I go this way? All of us are making those choices. Our children get the chance to make that choice, unfortunately, almost too regularly. What will they choose will depend on the values they've received from their parents. The first thing that I think that Solomon received from David was his life was not his own. He realized his life was not his own. In other words, he wasn't just to answer that question according to what do I want. But he had to answer that question according to the stewardship of the kingdom that he had been entrusted with. How many people today are answering the question that God would ask them with the stewardship of the kingdom of heaven in mind? The temptation for adultery. Well, she's pretty. It would be fun. It would be interesting. I would change the humdrum of my life. I would do. And so I'm faced with the decision. Do I take, do I go down that road? 
Or do I actually realize that my life is not mine own to choose? I should choose according to the kingdom of God because God is saying to me, I need you to build my kingdom. You go down that road, so much destruction and my kingdom does not get built. Do we really make our decisions knowing that our life is not our own? Because if you believe your life is your own, then you've got to do everything you can to make your life the best it can be. But what if the best thing you can do is give your life to him? Well, I won't know that if I'm not willing to surrender it. Jesus said, you know, he who loves his life should lose it. In other words, if you want to find life, give your life away. Give it away. Solomon knew that. He knew it because he'd seen his father David live that way. He'd lived his life for the kingdom. The second thing I believe that he saw in his father David was that the unseen realm is far more important than the realm that is seen. He saw in his father David that there was a realm that was unseen that his dad engaged with all the time. He wrote incredible psalms like Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, you know, they're not real. He's not talking about the earth's green pastures. He's talking about this unseen realm of the soul, of the spirit, that his, David, his father David would walk in before God, who was his shepherd. It was, it was not just a metaphor. It was actually this unseen realm of riches that his father lent into all the time and drew strength from all the time, this unseen realm. And Solomon watched his father prioritize those values. And Solomon thought there's something about that. The world that I see is not the only world here. There's another world at play. There's another power at play. There's a supernatural being that sits behind all of this that I should be leaning into as well. Is that what your kids feel from you? Do they see someone who is incredibly practical to the point that there is no other spirit life? Or do they meet someone in you that they say, this person is a person of the spirit? There's a person who understands that life is more than what I see. There's something else. And my mom and my dad, they're, they're focused on that. They're giving themselves to that. They're talking about it all the time. They're, they're living out of this well, this unseen world. The third thing I think he saw in his father David was the God of the unseen realm wants personal connection with me. David talked about God like he was his friend. David talked about this God who was the God of Israel, the God of the covenant, the God of these incredible feasts and ways. The Levitical priesthood sat over these incredible laws that were instituted and they were focused on. And there, were, there was a seven-day Sabbath and, and there were amazing calendars that happened throughout the annual course of Israel's life. And all of these complexities they sat in. But yet David sat in the midst of that and saw a God who loved him personally, chased after this God. He was a man that chased after the heart of God. Not the things of God, but the heart of the God that sat behind those things. He found that person and loved him. David said in Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And Solomon saw that. Where's dad? 
Oh, he's out early. He's been praying this morning. Oh, will he be joining us for breakfast? Yeah, he'll be back. Where's dad this morning? Oh, you know, he's out walking with God again, talking to God. Oh, I wonder what they talk about. Can you imagine a little kid growing up? Oh, I wonder what, talking to God. Who does that? Dad, what do you talk to God about? Can you see the influence of the example starts to overflow? Dad, you look really downcast and you look really despairing at the moment. What's the matter? Oh, it's okay, boy. I'm just stirring my heart before the Lord. I'm reminding my heart that God's with me right now. Is we okay? I'm feeling a bit flat right now, but God will, God's with me. He'll pick me up. Oh, really? How does he do that? Well, he'll just encourage me. He'll just start to talk to me and I'll hear something soon. You don't worry. God will be with me. He's never left me. He's so faithful. He'll be okay. Oh, okay. That's good. Maybe I should do that too. Fourth thing. Oh, no. Before we move on, I think it's interesting that Solomon's known for his wisdom, but that's not what he asked God for. He asked God for understanding. And there's a real difference in what he asked for. Because what the word understanding in the Hebrew means, a heart that hears. Solomon asked God for a heart that hears. Not a heart that has heard. Not a past tense. So in other words, I had an experience with God. And ever since then, I now believe in God because of that experience. That's one way. But what Solomon actually asked God for was a heart that hears every step. I hear, I hear. It's a present, continuous, tense relationship. It's the same as what Paul wrote in Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a present, tense, continuous state of being where my heart is hearing God. I'm in relationship with God. What Solomon asked for was the same relationship that David had with the Father. He asked for the same thing. I want the same personal connection that my dad had. Isn't that cool? That's what he asked for. So where does wisdom flow from? Well, wisdom and faith are just two sides of the same coin. Faith comes by hearing, but wisdom comes by hearing. Because all it is is God's word to us. So when God speaks, that's the wisest thing you'll ever hear. Do that. Now, I'll have faith to do it because I've heard it. I know it's the wisest thing to do, so I'll do it. Faith and wisdom are the same thing. We just want to know what's the right thing to do, God. Well, listen to him. He'll tell you that. Faith, a living connectedness with a personal God. And the fourth thing I believe that Solomon learned from his dad was he could trust the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness to his father David was evident in David's life. And he also watched his father David be faithful to that God. He was faithful to God. Now, not at times was he always faithful to those around him. David committed some heinous sins in his life. But notice this, God forgave him and restored him. Amen, he did. God's faithfulness. We will only ever see faithfulness when we are acting out of faithfulness. How do you appreciate the faithfulness of God? You be faithful to God. 
because then you'll know what faithfulness looks like. If I am not faithful to God, how will I ever recognize the faithfulness of God around me? How will I know when he's being faithful to me? Well, I won't because I don't have the value of faithfulness to actually hold up. I won't know what faith. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is standing in the place of believing and receiving until you, and you don't move until you receive the answer. Faithfulness is not quitting. Faithfulness is staying true in spite of the circumstance. Faithfulness is pressing forward and holding on because you know it is the right thing to do in spite of what anybody else says. Faithfulness says, I will love you until nothing will shake me. I will love you. I will hold on. Now, I know we live in a world that that's not always true. And we feel the pain of it when faithfulness rips apart. But God is faithful to us. He welds himself to us. Thank God for his faithfulness. And David saw that in God and Solomon saw that in David. And so that's why Solomon said when he was asked, what do you want from me? He said, I want to be like dad. Give me a heart that's his. Give me a heart that his. Just Because if I can walk with you, God, like my dad walked with you, and I can hear your voice like my dad did because he wrote some amazing things down, then I reckon I'll be okay. Don't you reckon that's a good key for life? If I could pass on only one thing to my kids, I would be, hear God. Do everything you can to hear the voice of God. Make that your number one pursuit in life. You will amass in great things. You will travel wonderful places. You will have much wonderful experiences. And I hope you do. And my, my blessing on you is that. But I ask this. Hear the voice of God. Because there is nothing like hearing God. There's no greater satisfaction than walking with God. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.